0: Good morning, Bethel. Well, this is a a very special service this morning, um, one that doesn't come along very often. This is the ordination service for Alex Kirk. So what is ordination? If this is an ordination service for Alex Kirk, what is that? Well, when Alex expressed his desire probably about a year or so ago... um, to be ordained before departing for Indonesia. We actually created an ordination preparation process. Um, it's certainly not a new thing in churches all over the world, but um, we wanted to tailor one here to Alex and also for the sake of, of our church um, for future ordination opportunities as well. It is basically a, a, quite a time-intensive process of self-examination, of mentoring, of reading, and writing when all was said and done. Alex's packet of papers that he'd written um, was 45 pages long. Um, At the top of the outline of that ordination process, we state this. Ordination by Bethel Baptist Church refers to the unanimous affirmation by the Bethel elders of a man's call to and giftedness for vocational ministry. It is a formal acknowledgement of this calling and a sacred commissioning to the ministry of the word. Ordination shall be conferred for life, but may be rescinded by the elders if the man forfeits his biblical qualifications. End quote. So we have sought to take the examination of Alex's qualifications seriously over the last year, culminating in his examination for three hours yesterday morning. Um, with the ordination council. So the council consisted of Bethel's elders who are in active service now. That's Jay Foggy, Bill Hughes, Todd Metzger, Tyler Miller, and myself. And then we also had three other honored council members, um, Dr. Al Huss. We're so thankful for uh, the experience that he brought to the table there as um, a seminary professor. And part of his life, he served that way. Um, is actually doing some adjunct um, work right now. And then also, um, we've mentioned before that Trinity Smyrna has um, gotten on board with the Kirks and they're supporting them. And so Dan Laro and um, Mike Osborne, the two pastors of of Trinity Smyrna, were here as well and participated in the council. They also brought a couple other guys to observe. Um, And so the bottom line is that the unanimous resolution of the Ordination Council yesterday was to approve Dr. Alexander Kirk for ordination to gospel ministry. So we didn't have to do any quick thinking and changing the plan for this morning. Now, most of the Ordination Council members have only known Alex for about a year and a half or less And as we look for affirmation of Alex's character and calling, how can we not look first to Betsy, who knows him better than anyone else? So we've actually asked Betsy, Betsy, if you can come up, if she would come and give brief testimony to Alex's qualification for ordination. This is no, I'm going to say this for her sake, because she uh, was a little uncomfortable with this to some degree because she didn't want it to be a superficial kind of humble brag scenario, um, which amounts to flattery and it's cheap. Um, She repels that, we actually repel that, but it's an earnest call from us for confirmation of the kind of authenticity that we're seeking as we confirm Alex's fitness for ordination. So, Betsy.
1: Well, as Chris said, as as dear as this church has become to us, most of you have only known Alex for a very short time. I've known him for quite a while, and I know him pretty well. Um, So when Pastor Chris asked me if I could affirm what this church is doing in ordaining and commissioning Alex for the ministry, um, it's a delight. I can stand up here and wholeheartedly agree to what's happening here today without a single reservation, without a single question about whether it's fit or whether it's right. I can testify with praise to God who's begun the good work and will complete it faithfully in you, Alex, that Alex is qualified for the work of the ministry. In the 15 years that I've known him, and um, next week it'll be 11 years since we've been married, um, I've seen his character in a way that no one else has. He's truly a man who fears the Lord, and he's faithful, he's earnest. Um, and he's very honest in his walk with Christ and in his relationship with me and his care for our children. God has given him a deep love for the Word of God and gifts of understanding and teaching it. For at least a dozen years, I've seen Alex's strong call to the ministry. I know that God's given him a desire very deep in his heart to serve in this way, and I've seen him faithfully follow this leading, taking every possible step he could to prepare and to train for it. Um, I've seen him persevere in it in the face of a lot of challenges, um, only I know all of them. Um, I also feel the same leaning from the Lord, and I can state with confidence today that I have no doubts um, that this is what he has for Alex and for me and for our family to do. Alex, to me, it's a precious privilege to walk beside you, be your wife, to be your helpmate, and my prayer for you is the same as your prayer for yourself, that you would walk faithfully with our Lord Jesus, and that he would use your ransom life and the gifts that he's given for his kingdom and for his glory.
0: Thank you, Betsy. The scripture reading for this morning is appropriate to the occasion. So if you would turn in your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And you can find the text on page 996. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 through chapter 4 verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 5. And if you would please join me in standing in honor of God's Word. Paul writes to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith, and warns him. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. But denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. "'through faith in Christ Jesus. "'All Scripture is breathed out by God "'and profitable for teaching, for reproof, "'for correction, and for training in righteousness, "'that the man of God may be complete, "'equipped for every good work. "'I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, "'who is to judge the living and the dead, "'and by His appearing and His kingdom,' Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So it is an immense privilege for me to charge Alex on the day of his ordination. Um, As many of you know, I've known Alex. um, Have I known him a little bit longer than you, Betsy? just a little bit, Um, but I don't know him as well. And you know what, as far as who knows him the longest, his mom wins that one hands down, (laughs) so we won't even try to compete. Um, I I give thanks to God publicly for his kind providence to intersect our paths in his freshman year at Wheaton College. Um, We shared a lot of life and ministry together in those years um, that we were in the same place, lots of um, rides in the car, even to the grocery store, talking about the Bible, talking about ministry, talking about life. Um, we've felled a few trees together. That's a story for another time. We even did one here when they first got here. Um, we got booted out of a mall for talking to people about Jesus. Um, we've been to Israel together. Betsy was on that trip as well um, to serve the church there and the community, um, So it was obvious to me early on that God's hand was on this man and had gifted him in some very significant ways. And so what a sweet providence it was when the Lord paved the way for the Kirks to end up here in Delaware. And now we, as a church family, Bethel, has the privilege of sending them to Indonesia. Um, And I want to just briefly qualify something here in the outset. Though this charge, and in a sense the service here is directed at Alex um, this morning because of his ordination, we are most certainly sending Alex and Betsy to Indonesia as our missionaries, okay? So don't confuse that at all. Both Alex and Betsy will serve vital roles as our missionaries. In fact, there will be ministry opportunities that will only be open to Betsy. And there will be ministry for which Betsy is much better suited and equipped than Alex. Um, That being said, this morning is focused on Alex because of his ordination. We'll actually be focusing on sending them both, in fact, sending their whole family on May 31st, which is um, their last Sunday with us before they depart for some training and then on to Indonesia. Now, some of you might be thinking we're spending a whole service where the primary audience of the message is one man. That seems a little strange. Well, let me just say a few things to show how appropriate and fitting it is for us to do this this morning in this context. Okay, so first, shepherds of God's flock do not get called in a vacuum. Giftedness is identified and confirmed not only by leaders— but also by those to whom and with whom that man ministers. That's all of us. So it's the body of Christ that sees God's hand on a man, that there's fruit in his wake because they actually taste it and they confirm that calling. So um, the church is answering this question, not just the leaders, not just the examination yesterday. So think about it this way. If a shepherd is put forth... Do the sheep smile and say, yes, or do they raise eyebrows, or worse yet, do they groan? Do you see how wrong that would be? Okay, so have you, Bethel family, seen or heard, think about it this way, have you seen or heard enough moral failure of church leaders and the wreckage that results to be concerned about moments like this and ongoing? Do we all have a vested interest in the health and fidelity of our pastors? I think we would all agree. So you can see why this is, in a sense, ordination is a church community project. In addition, something struck me this week that was so obvious I I never noticed it. There are three entire New Testament books written solely to two individual church leaders. Okay, so first and second Timothy are both written to to um, Timothy. Okay, so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, this is First Timothy one one, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And then Titus one one, Paul, a servant of God and of the apostle and, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to Titus my two true child in a common faith. So why did God do that? God obviously did not want these letters that Paul wrote to his protégés to end up in their desk drawers. He wanted to include them in the canon. I think there's something to learn from that point, okay? I think God wants the whole church to listen in on what he wants to say to his shepherds. He not only wants pastors to know what kind of men they ought to be and what they're called to do, but He also wants the church to know a good shepherd when they see Him. He wants His churches to have, God wants His churches to have good shepherds, and God also wants the church to know how to pray for its leaders. Hey, okay? certainly there's more reasons than that for including 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, but those reasons alone are reason enough for us to see how appropriate it is for us to charge Alex for me to charge Alex this morning because it's also a word for all of us. Okay? So, Alex and Bethel the charge comes from 1st Timothy 4:16, one verse that we're going to look at together here. So if you want to flip back there, You can find it on page 992, 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, first thing, keep watch on your life, Alex. Keep a close watch on yourself. Paul just got done saying back in 4 7, if you just look up a few verses there, he said, train yourself for godliness. So, Alex, your growth in Christ likeness, your character and conduct, your personal devotion to Christ, to his word, To prayer, to yieldedness and obedience and sensitivity to Him as your master and your teacher, that is what you need to keep your eyes on. So keep a close watch on your life. Don't let yourself go. Don't be inattentive to your heart and to your life. Sin is deceitful, our hearts can be deceptive, Satan is a deceiver. And it's inattentiveness and lack of vigilance that opens the door to spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness leads to veering off course and crashing. As Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Everything flows from our hearts. If you get poison in the spring, it affects all of the streams. So, Alex, your contentment, your dreams and aspirations, your use of time, your activity and rest, your choices, your yeses and nos, your marriage, your parenting, your teaching, your evangelism, they will all be affected for good or ill based on your response to this command. Your life, who you are, Always matters immensely, even more than what you do, what you accomplish. So Paul charges Timothy, and I charge you, to keep a close watch on yourself. Look at verse 12 of the same chapter. We see how important this is in Paul's view as he trains his son in the faith here. He says, set the believers an example... In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Another quick qualification here. Alex is not my son in the faith. We are brothers, and I've learned just as much, if not more, from him than he from me. Um, I am humbled oftentimes and so grateful for his influence on me. So Paul wants Timothy to take this really seriously, and Paul himself took this really seriously. This was his orientation of life. You don't have to turn there, but this is Paul's pattern. 1 Corinthians 9 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly... Paul's example, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul kept a close watch on himself. And then at the end of that section, 11.1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, Alex, God has entrusted you with an excellent mind. You've been privileged to receive a top-flight education, and it will serve you well in Indonesia. It's a sober trust that God intends to use to bless so many in that country, but the school of faith and obedience in your marriage, and I know you know this. I'm just reminding you and reinforcing these things. The school of faith and obedience in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your hospitality, in your trials and challenges. It has and it will forge and sharpen the weapons of your warfare, of your ministry. Your life is and must continue to be a cruciform and Christ-like illustration of the doctrine of the crucified Christ that you teach. So keep a close watch on yourself so that your Christ-likeness in suffering and trial and pressure will be a living amen to the truth that you teach. Keep a close watch on yourself so that your Christ-likeness in marriage will be a pillar that actually holds high the crucified, sacrificially loving Christ that you teach rather than undermining that truth. Keep a close watch on yourself so that your godliness, your God-likeness, godlikeness, god, likeness, god who is your Father, will be a beautifully reflected picture in the way that you parent Nora and Harriet and Hugh and Wally. Keep a close watch on yourself so that your godliness and Christ-likeness will shine out in your shepherding. Like Peter exhorted his fellow elders in chapter 5, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And then translations usually say something like, as God would have you. It's katatheon, according to God. In other words, like God shepherds. He's the good shepherd. Psalm 23. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Shepherd like that. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So example will be at the heart of your ministry for good or for ill. So example should and must be at the heart of your ministry for good, just as Paul's life was at the heart of his discipleship and training and teaching of Timothy. Again, listen to Paul's life, and and Alex is oh so familiar with this, having done his dissertation on um, much of Paul's um, writings. So, 2 Timothy 3, Paul says in verse 10, you, however, to Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So, Paul's life was a, a living illustration of his teaching and so will be yours I mentioned it to you yesterday, like produces like. So in your ministry there, as um, skilled a scholar as you are, you probably will not produce a lot of scholars, even though hopefully you'll produce some, God will use you to produce some. But there's going to be lots of pastors and church planners and evangelists that you will train and produce, and so like produces like. So the more that your life is kept a close watch on and Christ-like, that's the kind of thing you're going to produce in your students. So if you keep a close watch on your life, you will cultivate a life worthy of emulation by countless pastors and church planners in Indonesia. Your Christ-like influence... Will be caught and taught, taught and caught, and they will actually be mutually reinforcing. Your role is not just teaching, it is living and teaching, teaching and living. And what you're seeking to produce is Christ like life and teaching, teaching and life in those that you teach. So keep watch on your life. Secondly, keep watch on the teaching. This is attentiveness to your public ministry, to what you teach and how you teach it. You will have hearers, and what you teach them matters intensely. So be attentive to impart the sound, healthy doctrine and the teaching that builds up believers and builds up Christ's church. Know the word, brother. Know the word. Trust the word. Teach the word. Soak in the word like Spurgeon. You prick him anywhere, he just bleeds Bible. May that be true of you because all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then later on, again, we read this a few minutes ago, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. It's the same term, as as you know, in First Timothy 416, keep a close watch on the teaching. So build wisely and build well like a master builder on the only foundation that is firm, that will last the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. In in the immediate context of 1 Timothy 4, Paul has made this, this point of Timothy's teaching repeatedly. Look at verse 6. So 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, it's the same term, teaching, that you have followed. And then in verse 13, keep watch on your teaching, devote yourself to it. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to the teaching. Devote yourself to the teaching. So there are going to be those who do not heed Paul's charge. That's the case here. It's going to be the case in Indonesia. Like Paul warns in 1 Timothy 6.3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So, Paul says to Titus, But as for you... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. So life and teaching, teaching and life. What God has joined together, don't separate. And as Paul has other, um, as Paul has said to his other pastoral protege, protege Titus, he holds these two things together with him as well the life and the teaching, the teaching and the living in Titus 2 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works there's the life and in your teaching show integrity dignity etc okay so he holds those things together this example of life and teaching together will be important alex not only for your hearers but for your hearers hearers 2 Timothy 2:2 Paul says to Timothy what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So your influence is going to have multi-generational impact. So keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So this is pretty heavy stuff. And Paul says that Alex needs to persist in it. In and out of season, when there's fruit, When everything seems barren and lifeless, persist in this. Alex himself wrote in the preface to his ordination packet, he said, "'Entering into this ordination process, I thought it would be a confidence-building exercise, but it has proven much more to be a humbling one. The question that has been repeatedly impressed upon me is, who is sufficient for these things? I have been convicted. I expected to be confirmed in my strengths and readiness. Rather, this process has uncovered my weaknesses. Moreover, I believe that this process has exposed my pride. There remains in my heart too much self-sufficiency and reliance upon my abilities, skills, and education. I pray that the Lord will chip away at more of my hidden self-reliance, bringing me to the end of myself and my resources and opening my hands to receive the grace he so freely bestows. Alex had already learned those lessons, but the Lord is taking him deeper into a greater dependence and a greater trust, just like he wants to do with each of us. So even that is confirmation. That kind of humility and dependence is confirmation. That honesty and transparency is confirmation of God's calling on his life. So it's heavy stuff, it's heavy responsibility. Where's the power to persevere? Well, there's lots of answers to that question. In fact, one of his papers was along those lines. Where does the strength for endurance come from? But in this verse, there's one, one strategy, one source of power that's often not emphasized very much. It's the promise that's found in this verse. Look again at 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Point number three, powered by the promise. Does that feel like it adds to the pressure? <laughs> if you were in Alex's pew? Well, it's certainly sobering, but listen to this. I, I, I love that this happened this past week, so I wasn't actually planning on telling Alex what text I had chosen, but he asked me on Wednesday, we meet on Wednesdays, and he asked what passage I was going to be preaching. I told him, and he said, but, mentioned the verse, and he knows this verse, and he said, with a smile on his face, "There's a beautiful promise there in that passage. I love that he said that. That's indicative of who this man is, because that's not a threat. It's it's actually a wonderful promise and and a wonderful source of motivation and encouragement. Now, again, for some of us here, it might seem confusing. It could seem to even contradict other passages that talk about Jesus as the only Savior. But it's actually not that complicated. At least it doesn't have to be. So let me just turn this thing around and, and say that the opposite point sheds light on the truth here. Okay, so certainly we recognize how teachers who veer off Track, make, shipwreck of their own faith. Paul said it. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.18, wage the good warfare, spiritual warfare. Verse 19, holding faith in a good conscience, watch your life. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. They didn't watch their life. They didn't keep a close eye. And then also Paul says, here's what happens when unsound teaching goes through the church. It has an ill effect on its hearers. So listen to 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And he goes on to talk about these men who are upsetting the faith of some. So the point is this, and again, it's simple. God alone saves through Christ, but he saves through means through instruments, pastors and teachers and evangelists, indeed, every disciple who makes disciples. All of us should be a means of God's saving grace. Do you remember when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might, I might Save some. Or, applied to the church in general, James 5.19 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God saves, but he uses means to save. So, Alex, God wants you to be his means, his instrument." So keep a close watch on your life and your teaching. And just as your vigilance is vital to your perseverance in the faith, so also your vigilance and watchfulness over your life and teaching is vital to the salvation of your hearers. So keep watch and do so with persistence like Paul. 2 Timothy 4, 5, listen to what Paul said, the verse I closed with in the scripture reading. As for you, Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Persist in this. Now again, (laughs) this can still feel like a lot of pressure. Even with that promise, it can feel like a lot of pressure. And at times, it will feel like a very heavy burden. I can't say that you won't feel it. In fact, oftentimes, that's exactly what you should feel. But you're not alone in that feeling, that burden. Paul felt that pressure. Again, a text you're very familiar with. 2 Corinthians 11:28. 28. He lists all of his sufferings, and then he says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So it is heavy, and it's actually intended to be heavy, but there's also great cause for confidence and rest and peace. And Paul had that same confidence as well. He knew that when he was weak, Christ was strong. He knew that he was a mere clay pot, but he knew the surpassing power was of God and not from himself. He knew whom he had believed, and he was convinced That King Jesus was able to guard until the final day what had been entrusted to him. And those same promises are true for you. He knew, final point, that he was powered by the promisor. So yes, powered by the promise. But even underneath that, you are powered by the promisor. Look back at chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Timothy 4, 10. Just back a few verses. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope. We have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So Paul did not toil and strive. He didn't keep a close watch on himself in the teaching because his hope was in his own toil and striving. Paul knew he wasn't the Savior. He toiled and strived because his hope was set on God who is the Savior, through Christ, the one and only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul made it clear where the power is. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? What is Alex? Servants, through whom you believed, God uses means, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul speaking, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So not surprisingly, this passage in its context reflects the logic that we find all over the Bible. God through Christ is the Savior of all who believe. So trusting your Savior Alex, and the one and only Savior, trusting him, obey by keeping a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. And this wonderful blessing will be yours. You will win many, directly and indirectly, reaping salvation for yourself and your hearers. It's that same logic that we find at the end of the book of Jude, Would you turn there, Jude, the final verses, so it's the second last book of the Bible. We're going to close with this because you'll see the same logic here parallel to that of 1 Timothy 4.16. And you can see how this applies to all of us very directly. So Jude writes in verse 20... But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep a close watch on yourself. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh but don't lose sight of where the power for all of this comes. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So now I'm gonna actually close with... The charge, at least, I'm going to close the charge with one more testimony. Um, Alex didn't know about Betsy's testimony until a moment before she came up here, Um, and he doesn't know anything about this one either. Um, But a couple of weeks ago, I asked Alex to provide me with a short list of those people who have had the most profound, personal, spiritual influence on his life. I think the Apostle Paul, Jesus Himself, Apostle Paul, but you know, they haven't met personally. Um, there's other people he's read, but, they're, you know, they're dead, so personal influence in his life, and the list began with one of our guests here this morning, his mom, so she was at the top of the list, and then there was one professor in that list, um, a friend of mine as well, Dr. Scott Hafeman who now teaches at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. So I wrote Dr. Hafman, and he eagerly agreed to send a testimony affirming Alex's calling and giftedness. And I'm going to close this charge by allowing Scott Hafman um, both to encourage and to charge you, Alex. And I think this will be encouraging and challenging to the rest of us as well. Alex, it is an honor to be with you today via this letter. My wife, Deborah, one of Betsy's biggest fans, and, and I have every confidence in your calling to be a minister of the gospel of the kingdom of God and in your and Betsy's calling together to minister the word, living and written at the Evangelical Theological Seminary in Indonesia and wherever else the Spirit may lead you and Betsy and Nora, Harriet, Hugh, and Walter. I have known you a long time. This is not a reflection of your old age, but of mine. I first met you when you were a college student, before you were married, and when you were first learning how to read the Bible at Wheaton College and how to live it and teach it to others at Grace Church of DuPage. Gifted academically and earnest in his pursuit of following Christ are the words that come to mind as I remember you then. I met you next in a sustained way, now married, and as a young father too, when you and Betsy came to study at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, he was teaching there at the time. By then I had come to know that Betsy too was gifted and earnest, and able to keep your head in the game of life. For as your partner in the calling of marriage and ministry, she brought another great gift into the mixed mix, a forthright honesty which we so admire in her. By then, you had some years of teaching and ministering the scriptures under your belt as a leader among your peers in the apprenticeship program of Bethlehem Baptist Church, and you were already writing Bible study materials for others. Your gifts were being confirmed. All you needed was some more time and the pressure of an academic environment to complete your foundation. I could see at that time that you were even more gifted and even more earnest than I remembered you from college. You may remember that I quickly grabbed you to be my teaching assistant before any of my colleagues could discover you. Again, you excelled in your studies, and during this time, I think your sense of calling also solidified to gain the highest training possible in order to serve the neediest among God's people, not in a cushy office like mine, but somewhere out in the two-thirds world where studying the Bible is not a pastime or a career skill, but a matter of life and of death. This is a unique calling. It is a courageous calling. It is a calling that challenged your teacher and the pastors with whom we were privileged to study together one summer. And it is a calling impossible to live out apart from sharing the Apostle Paul's perspective on life in view of death. More on that in a moment. And it is a calling that you could never have apart from Betsy having been called to it too. During those years, I also saw you gain the courage of your convictions, even as they develop and change in light of an ongoing study of and commitment to the Scriptures, which was a crucial step in coming to the end of your seminary preparation. I've only run into you in person here and there a few times during your Oxford years, but I am seeing you quite a bit these days in the pages of your first excellent book, which I am already citing even before it is published. This is Alex's doctoral dissertation. In fact, I have a folder on my computer labeled Alex's work, which is filled with documents you have given me through the years containing your questions and reflections on the Bible. I often go to it to see what you think when I'm trying to figure out what I think about something. For being gifted and earnest and called is a powerful combination of God's graces in your life, and as your ordination today signifies, you are faithful in your stewardship of them. And so, at your ordination, it is therefore easy to be excited about Bethel Baptist churches sending you and Betsy out to Indonesia. For you and Betsy have never wavered in your commitment of faith to employ your gifts earnestly in accordance with your callings. I am honored to have seen God's work over the years in bringing this day about. So, by way of a word of encouragement, I think it is fitting to turn to your own study of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry, who called his churches and us by implication to imitate him as he imitated Christ. Your study is a sober one. You have shown the impact on Paul's own life and ministry of the fact that Paul came to realize that he was going to die before Jesus came back. You are being ordained and sent to Indonesia with this same likely reality. So my prayer and confident expectation for you and Betsy is that in facing your own life of ministry ahead, you will imitate Paul in his response to the reality of death. For to Paul, as you argued carefully in your book, and he's quoting Alex here, the primary challenge this looming departure presented was not to his own person in the form of existential anxiety or otherwise, but to the continued survival of his congregations. It was therefore Paul's resolve to pour out what remained of his life in service to his fellow believers so that they would remain in progress in the faith. Paul never appeared to wrestle with a fear of death or with doubt concerning his own salvation. This firm hope freed Paul to plot his life course in order to maximize his ministry without regard for the consequences to his bodily life. Paul expected that this offering up of his life to God and others would be an example worthy of emulation among all Christians under his influence. At your ordination, may the Lord strengthen your own faith so that like Paul, you are willing to pour out your own life in anticipation of Christ's welcome of you in death. In fact, my prayer for you and Betsy is that on this important, exciting, and life changing day, Paul's conviction expressed in Acts twenty twenty four, which figures prominently in your written work, will also characterize your living work as well. Quote, Yet I do not give any account for life as precious for my life as precious to myself, in order that I might finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. What you insightfully wrote about this important passage is a challenge to us all. And he quotes Alex again. If Paul held on to his earthly, earthly life as precious, then he would be unable to complete the commission he received from Jesus. In other words, Paul is acknowledging that he cannot carry the Lord's name before Gentiles, kings, and the sons of Israel unless he is prepared to suffer and even die. The faithful discharge of his duty is more important to Paul than life itself. This enables him to travel to Jerusalem knowingly and willingly. If Paul is prepared to die for the sake of his ministry to the Lord Jesus, then he will certainly be ready to face the bonds and tribulations that are awaiting him. End quote. This is the conviction and life to which you are ordained. God bless you. And Betsy. We are very proud of you. Sincerely, Scott Haifman, for Deborah, too. Father, I pray um, for Alex that you would continue to give him grace to guard his heart, to keep it with all vigilance. We praise you that you've given him a new heart. You took out his heart of stone and replaced it with a new heart that beats for you and for your glory. And Father, I pray that you would empower him to keep it with all vigilance and persist in doing so. You have given him significant gifts. Give him grace to remain humble and to grow in humility. May he be that Isaiah 66, 2 man. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. I pray that he would clothe himself with humility because you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So may he humble himself under your mighty hand, so that you will exalt him at the proper time. May he cast all his cares on you because you care for him. Help him to be sober-minded and watchful because not only can his heart be deceitful, but there is an enemy prowling that wants to devour him. So help him to resist him firm in his faith. And so, Lord, we pray that in this man's life and through him and in his marriage and through it and in his family and through it that you would cause your will to be done more and more so that your kingdom would come more and more, so that your great holy name would be hallowed more and more. We ask it in the strong and powerful name of King Jesus. Amen.